Good morning. So good to see so many of you in the house today. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I also want to extend a special hello out to everyone worshiping with us online. If you're in the room today, would you put your hands together and welcome everyone? (laughs) Near and afar, we're so glad you're a part uh, of our church this morning, and I hope we can um, uh, usher in the presence of God with you right where you are today as well. We're beginning a series Right now, we're, this is coming out of Thanksgiving. This is a new series. Today's the beginning of it called The Nativity, where we're looking at, my dad and I are going to be looking at uh, the nativity scene, different characters in the nativity scene. Anybody got a nativity scene in your house? Yeah, maybe more than one. We got more than one in my house. It, it, you know, when, when you got the nativity scene, there's all these little characters. We're going to be looking at different characters of that nativity scene and lessons we can learn uh, from that character in the nativity. I have some different nativities in my house. Like, the, like there's one that the kids can play with. Like it's like, like the people version. It's plastic. Um, if it, something happens to it, oh, okay. Well, whoops. But then there's like the other version that's like handcrafted out of olive wood from Jerusalem. That's a family heirloom that the kids don't touch. Like there's, you know, there's different, different ones. But one thing that all... The nativities have in common. Every nativity scene that, that's in my house or your house, one thing that they all have in common is that somebody p- set it up. Somebody picked the pieces up and they put them there. So, so it made a, made a scene. We call it the nativity scene. But the, it just occurred to me, it was very unlikely that Mary and Joseph, like when it was actually, when they had the baby, I really don't think they were like, oh, honey, move. It's the scene, you know, it's the scene. We want to see the scene. Every nativity has someone that set it up, that put the pieces together. When it's the plastic one, my kids are the setup team. They put the the pieces and they set it up. When it's the, you know, the uh, olive handcrafted family heirloom from Jerusalem, mom and dad, mom sets it up. but every nativity scene has a setup team. And that's actually the character that I'm going to start this series with. The character of the nativity scene that that I'll talk about today is the setup team. God had a setup team for the nativity scene. And we're going to look at that that, uh, setup team today. I hope today you see God has a setup team working in your life. And I hope today you'll be willing to step into the setup team and be a part of the setup team that God wants for the life of those around you as well. So here's the first, the first uh, person on the setup team. You know, God needed a setup team for the, the nativity. And the first member of his setup team was the Old Testament pro, uh, prophets. These were the faith builders. These were the faith builders. See, before Jesus was ever born, he was. There was, never a, there was never a time. Time did not exist without Jesus. He was always there. In Colossians, we know that Jesus was present at creation. So before Jesus was ever born in a manger, he was. He was present at creation, and the entire Old Testament is about Jesus. Even though his name isn't mentioned once, the Old Testament is about 
Jesus. Jesus told the Pharisees, who were experts at the Old Testament, he, he, he told them, you think that because you understand the scriptures, you think you have obtained eternal life. But you don't realize they'll point to me, buddy. My paraphrase. That's how he said it. Jesus knew how to drop a mic. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And the Old Testament prophets had an important job setting up the Messiah, building faith of Israel for a coming Messiah. I want to just kind of quickly take you through a series of prophecies to help you see this. There was an Abraham covenant, Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. God set Abraham apart, saying that Abraham's offspring would bless the entire world. He's speaking of Jesus. Genesis 22, 18. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Balaam, yeah, that Balaam, prophesied after his donkey, of course, that a future king would come from not just Abraham, but from Abraham's offspring, Jacob. Numbers 24, 17. Balaam said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Israelites for generations looked back to prophecies like this, knowing that there would be a coming Messiah. I'm not done yet. A prophesy to King David that the descendant of David would be a forever king. 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring, Jesus, to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will bless a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Or if you do it Sandlot style, forever. Thank you for those of you that know Sandlot. That was funny. Everyone else, go watch Sandlot so you can laugh at my jokes. The prophet Micah in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 prophesied that the Messiah would be born specifically in a no-name place like Bethlehem. Isaiah prophesied that he would be God and God would be born of a virgin. Uh, do we have the Isaiah verse, Isaiah seven fourteen? Yep, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him an Emmanuel. That sounds like something that the angels said to Mary, right? That sounds like something that you'd find in the New Testament, but no, that's in the Old Testament. That's in the Jewish Bible. That's in the Jewish guidebook. The people that reject the Messiah, Jesus is in the Old Testament. The shepherds and wise men were prophesied in Psalm 72, 9 through 11. The slaughter of babies by King Herod was predicted in Jeremiah 31, 15. And Jesus as a baby became a refugee and fled to Egypt for protection, which was predicted in Hosea 1, 1, or I'm sorry, 11, 1. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. The Old Testament prophets created an intricate series of prophecies and every one of them was fulfilled by the birth of Jesus. Who could do that? Only God. Only God. I didn't, I'm not a mathematician, but the, like, I heard somebody say like, like the likelihood of all of that stuff happening, all of those prophecies being fulfilled by one person, just as it was said, all of them fulfilled by Jesus, would be similar to like you winning the lottery 14 times in a row or something like that, like greater than that. This is what we believe. 
For generations, the Jews were anticipating and waiting the Messiah. He's coming. And they had that anticipation. They had that expectation. Why? Because of a setup team. Because of generations of prophets who built the faith of Israel. They waited because of a promise. Can we raise some expectations that God's going to do something in our lives? Can we raise some expectations that God wants to do something with, with our church? Can we raise expectations that God wants to do something with ourselves? Amen. Or are we just going to go through life and ho-hum? Like, it's easy to do that, you know, you just ho-hum. But let's raise expectations that God wants to use you. My favorite Bible verse, we're going to read it in a minute, I think is Ephesians 2.10. We're God's workmanship, created for good works. We're not, we're not a masterpiece if we're sitting on a shelf. We're a masterpiece when we do the good, good works that God's created in advance for us to do. And even today, none of us sit around and think, Balaam, that guy prophesied about the coming Messiah. No, we think Balaam, that, that guy couldn't, couldn't hear God speak unless it was a donkey. That's what we think about for Balaam. He was the guy that had to get, hear a prophecy from his donkey. The donkey had to speak to him. And that's what we think of when we think of Balaam. However, he prophesied of the Messiah, as I just read. He was a part of the setup team. Can we be content being a part of the setup team? Being a part of the cog in the wheel, a piece in the pie that God uses to do something amazing in the world. Here's the second uh, member of the setup team. I feel bad for this guy. The second member of the setup team is Caesar Augustus. He's the guy that didn't know he was on the team. He's kind of oblivious. He's like, well, I'm on, I'm on a team? God's using me? Yeah, God used Caesar Augustus. This is in chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2. At the beginning, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Jump down to verse 3. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. So here was Joseph and Mary, frustrated by an oppressive Roman government. And they had to have been frustrated by that. All Jews were. And a census was taken for one reason. Taxation. So this was an, kind of an oppressive act on the Jews. Everyone go, go take a census. Mary and Joseph, I don't think they were like, oh, a census. Fun. They were grumbling about it. This was an oppressive act of Rome. Go back. To, we need to know how many people there are so we can make you all pay. Money. Joseph was certainly grumbling on that trip to Bethlehem. Mary was probably grumbling, grumbling on that trip to Bethlehem. The donkey that was carrying the pregnant Mary was like grumbling on the trip to Bethlehem. God can use people that are oppressive to bring about what he wants. Caesar Augustus was an oppressive ruler to the Israelites. And he didn't even know that he was working for God. He's, he's the oblivious member of the setup team. Caesar Augustus is, is an important figure in the nativity scene for two reasons. Number one, it connects, Caesar Augustus being in the Bible, connects the faith figure of Jesus to history. 
Jesus Christ is not just a faith figure. He is a historical faith figure. It is historical fact. It's connecting Jesus with history. This is a real thing. Jesus isn't just a faith figure. He's a historical faith figure. And the second reason that Caesar Augustus is important in the nativity story is he set up the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. If it wasn't for this census, they were going to have to have some other excuse to get to Bethlehem to have the baby where it was prophesied the baby would be. He set that up, fulfilling the prophecy from Micah 5.2. Could it be that God wanted to arrange the birth of his son in Bethlehem and he used an oppressive ruler to get his way? There's a song, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. God's working when you don't know it. Here's Mary and Joseph grumbling, and the donkey all grumbling on their way to Bethlehem. God had a plan. God was setting them up. God can speak through a donkey like Balaam's donkey. God can work through a booger like Caesar Augustus. Can God use your boss? Can God use your coworker? Can God use the bully? Can God use you? Is God trying to teach you something in your troubles? Is God trying to set you up <laughs> and you're oblivious that you're on God's setup team. Maybe, maybe you or I are oblivious when we're going around life grumbling, <laughs> grumbling like the donkey and Mary and Joseph on the way to Bethlehem. <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> we're grumbling. When we're grumbling, could it be that we're the person that doesn't realize we're on God's setup team or that God's setting us up? I had in sixth grade, I had a teacher that was particularly difficult. I'm going to call her Mrs. Johnson. That's not really her name. But I couldn't stand this teacher. Mrs. Johnson, I felt, was incredibly unfair. I felt she was rude. I came home and cried some days because of how rude I thought Mrs. Johnson was. I just couldn't stand Mrs. Johnson. I remember going home to my parents. I was like, you got to get me out of her class. I don't want to be in that class anymore. And my parents said, Adam... I hated this. I hated this, but it was so true. My parents said, Adam, there's always going to be Mrs. Johnson in your life. And I said, no, I'm going to get through sixth grade and I'm never going to see her again. No, no, no. You'll have a Mrs. Johnson in seventh grade. And you're going to have a Mrs. Johnson in eighth grade. And you're going to have more and more Mrs. Johnsons your whole life. I was like, Ugh. I didn't like it, but I believed it. And once you know it, there was a Mrs. Johnson in seventh grade, and I had a Mrs. Johnson in ninth grade, and I had a Mrs. Johnson in twelfth uh, grade, and then I thought I'm graduated. Never again will I have to deal with somebody like that. Then I found out that college is filled with Mrs. Johnsons. <laughs> There's a lot of Mrs. Johnsons, a lot of difficult people out there. And I got better and better and better at dealing with them. There were difficult people in my life, and there's, there still are Mrs. Johnsons in my life, but I'm getting more and more godly with how I deal with them because I'm looking for what God wants to do. I'm realizing that it's a setup. I realize that I'm a part of the story. 
of what God's doing. I'm, I'm experiencing what God's laying out in my life. Now, when I encounter a Mrs. Johnson, I just want to slap her a little bit instead of a lot. <laughs> because I trust God. Romans 5, I'm sorry, Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you, do you believe the Bible? So when you're walking through life and you, you have some grumbling, I can't believe we're got to, I can't believe I'm supposed to. Could it be that you're in a setup? Could it be that all things, God works in all things for the good of those who love him? Could that be true? Let's trust that there are people on God's setup team. Sometimes ourselves on God's setup team that God's using to bring about what he wants. All right, here's the third. The third member of the setup team is the innkeeper. The innkeeper is a member of the setup team. I call him the opportunist. He takes the opportunities in front of him. This comes from Luke chapter 2. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. How interesting is that, that the word innkeeper actually never occurs in Scripture? Some of you just gasped inside. My whole childhood is a lie. Okay. The word innkeeper isn't there. Uh, in fact, the, word that refer, the Greek word that's referring to in also is the same word referring to a guest room. And since Mary and Joseph were going back to Bethlehem, where his family's from, it's quite possible that they were trying to stay with family and there was no room for them in their family's house. So the baby had to be born somewhere. That's possible. That's possible. And some of you, I know because I've talked with enough people, like, like that kind of wrecks your mind. Like, oh my goodness. Scripture is meant to handle us. Okay? It's a story of God's revelation to man. We need to handle scripture as God's revelation to man. We don't need to handle it like a science book before reading it as God's revelation to man. And it can be interesting to argue, was this, was this an innkeeper or was this a family member? Was, this, was Jesus born in a stable, in a cave, or was it really the, the main level of a house because, you know, they lived in the upper level? And the, is this, what, what exactly was it? What was the stable? What's, let's make it, that could be interesting. But if you make that the focus, don't make that the focus at the cost of missing what matters, God's revelation to man. God's revelation to man. God came and was born, became like us, not just human, but a human born in the most humble situation that you can imagine, in, in a, where animal, the place where animals were. That's the story. That's the revelation of man. So refined accuracies aside, there was a dude that owned the location where Jesus was born. I'm calling him the innkeeper, the opportunist. There was a dude that owned the place where they could sleep, and I'm calling him the innkeeper. Think about what he was dealing with. People came to him, maybe family, maybe not, but she's pregnant, 
and they're not even married. Like, I just wonder if he's facing like some, like maybe his wife is around the corner saying, Mm-mm. maybe, maybe he's worried about what the neighbors will, will see if he welcomes somebody like this into his home. There wasn't room for Jesus at his, at his place. He didn't have room for Jesus. But he made room for Jesus. I wonder if some of us are a little bit like the innkeeper. You don't have room for Jesus. Make room. Make it. Make the room. Delete the app. Turn the TV off. Stop that. Make room. We all have the same amount of time in every day, 24 hours. Make the room for Jesus in your life. Start rearranging stuff, whatever it takes. He'll take, a, he'll take the stable if that's all you give him. But when you make room for Jesus, it sets him up to do something great in your life. You can be a part of God's setup team when you make room for Jesus. There simply was not room for Mary and Joseph. But the innkeeper figured it out. He took the opportunity that was in front of him because he didn't want to miss God. I love this idea of taking the the opportunities we have in front of us. Galatians chapter 6 tells us to do it. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You know, you got opportunity to to do good to people around you every day. Every day you have that opportunity. So do I. What do we do with that opportunity? God will give us opportunities to do good. God will give us opportunities to set up someone's life to receive him. God will give us opportunities to invite people to receive him. What will we do? We can blow past it. It's more comfortable to do that. Just go home, get get some turkey leftovers. It's more comfortable to just head home, just blow past it. But you miss what God has for you. You miss the... Really, you're you're not just missing what God has for you, you're missing your meaning... Of life, We have uh, another verse, Ephesians 2.10, my favorite verse. And this is in the Living Bible. It is God himself who has made us what we are and has given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And, and long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. What a beautiful way to say it. The Great Commission isn't just go. It's as you go. Take the opportunities God puts in front of you to push his kingdom forward. Turn to the person next to you, type it in the chat, say, take the opportunity. We're going to notice the opportunities, church, when we're walking in the light, when we're walking in step with God, when we're walking hand in hand with our creator. We're going to know when he's set up an opportunity, when when there's a door in front of us. We're going to know when it's right to walk through, when we walk hand in hand with our creator. So the next time you find yourself in a situation, stop and say, I wonder what God's getting me ready for. Or say that to somebody else. 
I wonder what God's getting you ready for. They'll hate it, but it's true. It's kind of like saying, there'll be Mrs. Johnsons in your life. In the rest of your life, you're going to have Mrs. Johnsons. They'll hate it, but it's true. It's true. I wonder what God's getting me ready for. I wonder what God's trying to teach me. I wonder what God's trying to show me. Seems like God put a door in front of me. When you find yourself in a situation, maybe just say, I'm going to believe God that you are up to something good. Even though right now it doesn't feel good, I'm going to believe that you're up to something good. You're up to it. If you know the heart of God, if you're walking in step with him, if you're walking in the light, you'll be able to confidently walk through the doors of opportunity that God gives you. Here's the fourth character in the setup story, the setup team. Fourth member of the setup team is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the guy that prepared the way. He prepared the way for Jesus. Not just his birth, but not really his birth, but, but his ministry. He prepared the way for his ministry. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus to do great work. He preached a baptism of repentance. Stop sinning, people! Repent and get clean. I'm going to baptize you with a baptism of repentance. Get clean because of the coming judgment was his message. And his dad, Zechariah the priest, he prophesied over his son, John the Baptist, immediately upon his birth. So John the Baptist was born, and Zechariah the priest grabbed John the Baptist, and he said, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And that's what John did. That's exactly what John did. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus to do great work by declaring the need for repentance. Jesus started his ministry after John. And the hearts of the whole region were prepared because John had already been about declaring repentance. And people had cleaned their house. And they were ready for the work of Jesus in their heart. Church, I believe that there's a second coming. Jesus came. We see the account of that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the book of Acts, Jesus left. He, he ascended into heaven. And when he seated, sat down next to the Father, he sent the Comforter. That happened in Acts chapter 2. There's a, the power of the Holy Spirit that we can have in our life. But Jesus is coming back again. There's a second coming. Christmas is about the coming, but there's a second coming. Did anybody host Thanksgiving at your own house? Just, you had people come over to your house? Yeah. What do you do when you have people coming over to your house? Mama freaks out and cleans. Right? Everything's got to be decorated. Everything's got to be vacuumed twice, dusted. Everything in place. Why? Because you're having people coming over. You prepare the way for them. There's a second coming of Jesus. Perhaps you can experience a small piece of it today. It's not the second coming of Jesus, but maybe we can prepare the way for the Lord to do work here, to lead us into ministry. What do we do if we're going to prepare the way? What do we do if we're going to join God's setup team 
purify our hearts. Purify our hearts. Would you stand with me? God is looking for forerunners like John the Baptist who will make straight the paths of the Lord. So I want to encourage us to join God's setup team. Let's join what God is doing because he's always, God's always in the middle of a setup. God loves a great setup. But he uses us to do it. So if you want to join God's setup team, there's three things to do. Number one, purify yourself. Jesus is returning for a pure bride, spotless, without blemish. Lord, you see our hearts. Any idea that we're hiding something from you is just a joke. I mean, we're not. We're the only people that think we're hiding anything. So, Lord, right now I just pray you illuminate every area of our lives. If there's anything in our heart that doesn't please you, show us. May we repent, may we turn from it, and chase you. Amen. Second thing we got to do if we're going to join God's setup team is to trust God was working before we ever got there. John Wesley called it uh, prevenient grace. God, before you came, God was working. And the third is to take the opportunities that God set up in front of you. Because God will set you up for opportunities. He's working before you come on the scene. He's working before you go into work. Before you pick up the phone with somebody, he was working in that person's life. And you get to be a part of setting them up to experience God. Let's continue our worship today. Lord, we're going to look at you. We trust you. We want to be a part of your setup team. We acknowledge your work in our lives. Use us to work in the lives of others as well. We commit ourselves to you, God.